Marion, I'm pinching your prayer. Lord, hide your servant behind your word. I think it's a great prayer, that one. So, good morning, everybody. <laughs> morning. Um, right, so, I've given Ed a role to do this morning. <laughs> he asked for it to be set up this way, so I've made him use the space. No. <laughs> um, so, we're talking, aren't we, about going out about our father's business this year. Um, and so, looking at our church strapline, it's love God, love people, make disciples, sorry, repeat all of the above. And looking at that to me, it seems to represent, first off, the, when Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment in Matthew 22, um, it was love God and love people, wasn't it, in short words, um, and also the Great Commission in Matthew 28. So we're just going to have a look at the first part about loving God. So Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And um, something struck me about the wells that were had in the middle last week for those who were here and about the well of healing. Um, and when we redig the well of healing, I believe that it's not just primarily about physical healing. I think we tend to talk about physical healing, don't we, um, when we think of healing. But that God wants to heal people into wholeness for authenticity. A shift from partial healing to wholeness of heart, mind, emotions, body, soul and spirit. The whole lot, all of it. Um, so in order for us to do that, loving God with our whole heart, our hearts need to be whole. Um, in Ezekiel, going back into Ezekiel before this, in chapter 36, verses 25 to 26, God said... He promised that he would give us a new heart and put a new spirit in us, that he would take out our stony, stubborn hearts and give us tender, responsive hearts. Um, all the quotations, unless I say otherwise, are from the New Living Translation, by the way. So that's where I got that particular word. So in order for us to love God with our whole hearts, we need tender, responsive hearts, because hard hearts cannot love, can they? It's very hard if your heart's hardened to love somebody. And this is very personal for me because God's taken me on and has taken me on a journey towards authenticity myself. I'm still on that journey. I have not arrived. So complete disclaimer there. This is not from a place of perfection or the finished work. That won't happen until I'm in glory. So in the past few the past few weeks, there's there's been two particular scriptures or two particular instances in the Bible that I've been reminded of. One is Psalm fifty six eight, which says, "You keep track of all my sorrows, or some translations say wanderings. You have collected all my tears in your bottle." 
you have recorded each one in your book. And God also broke me recently about the story of the woman who anointed Jesus. Marion and I had a conversation about whether that was Mary Magdalene or not. I'm not, I'm not going to go into whether it's one instance, more than one instance. It's in every, every gospel. Um, for the purpose of what I'm saying today, we don't really need to resolve those questions. So it appears in Matthew 26, 6 to 13, Mark 14, 3 to 11, Luke 7, 36 to 50, and John 12, 1 to 8. And I believe that there's a link between that verse in the Psalms and this story and what the psalmist was likely getting at. So this is where Ed comes in. He's a bit of a visual aid this morning. Okay. The text in Psalm 56 tells us that um, it was written by David when he'd been seized by the Philistines, his enemies in Gath. And first eight, as we've already heard, says, you keep track of all my sorrows or wanderings. Whilst David had been wandering physically, and that's clear, Ellicott's commentary gives the view that because the wanderings are here paralleled with tears, this is likely to refer to mental restlessness or the inmost things. So it's more likely to refer to what's going on inside of David. Okay. So... I'd been thinking about tears in a bottle and somebody reminded me of it again during the week. Um, and I looked at what tears in a bottle might have meant and got some information from uh, Barnes Notes on the Bible and Benson's commentary. What I found out was that the ancient Hebrews and later the Romans, and you can find these in ancient tombs apparently, loads of them, they had a custom at funerals where the tears of the grieving were captured on cloths and then wrung out into, let's try and get this word right, lacrimatories, which were made of thin glass um, or simple pottery with a slender body, a broad bottom and a funnel-shaped top. So the tears were collected on these cloths and wrung out into these things. And they were then placed in the tombs of the deceased as a memorial of the distress and affection of their surviving relatives. So that's likely what David's referring to here, because that's the custom of the time. So to me, that says David believes that the Lord was similarly identifying with his dis distress and remembering him with affection. And the verse also tells us, sorry, Ed, you're going to need your other prop, <laughs> that um, the Lord records each of our tears in his book. There's a lot of things through the Bible that you can go and look. You know, God records things in a book about each of us from our birth through our lives. And I want us to be reminded of these two things as we look at the story of the woman anointing Jesus. And I, but I want to highlight to everybody that this applies equally to men and women, okay? Because we have the, the psalmist here who wrote these words was a man and he expresses, if you read the book of Psalms, 
every emotion known to humankind and he loudly and freely expresses them all to God. So you've got permission <laughs> from the Bible to take every emotion to God. It's, he can absolutely handle it, okay? And obviously we're going to look at an example of a woman later on. Okay. I'm mainly comparing the accounts in Luke's and John's Gospel for the sake of time, um, but I'll be talking in broad terms. So if we picture the scene, we've got Jesus reclining at a table. Reclining, he was probably sort of propped up on an arm, somehow reclining on the floor. They didn't tend to sit at table and chairs like we did. And he's eating in the home of a Pharisee or a religious person and disciples when a woman, possibly Mary Magdalene, who is utterly shamed in the eyes of society and definitely in the eyes of those present at the table, extravagantly and in a very undignified manner, shows utter devotion to Jesus. If we picture the scene, she is crying so hard that her tears are making Jesus' feet wet. Often you're crying just a little bit down your face. No, I, this to me is proper ugly crying. Can we just put it that way? She is absolute. It's not everywhere. You, you know, you know what I mean. And then she dries his feet with her hair. So I've got a visual aid here. So I'm going to be a woman at that time in the Middle East. Should have been like this. How am I? You know, they had to cover their heads. It was considered shameful, really shameful to have your hair on display in that culture. There's no way my hair's getting out to wipe Jesus' feet this way, is it? So she's had to have done this. It's off. She's uncovered her head, completely shaming herself, not caring what any of them think, okay? And then she anoints him with a jar of expensive nard. I recently heard this talked about in a, um, I go to college with the Church of England, but it, somebody did an act, uh, an act of worship around this, and they do things a bit differently, but they had an oil burner with some essence of nard in it. Couldn't get that for this morning, it was too late. But, um, and so we had a chance to smell what it would be like. But this cost, it is estimated, a whole year's wage, what she brought. Huge financial cost, huge personal cost, right? She's absolutely humiliating herself in front of some of the most self-righteous people around in those days, okay? I've lost where I am in my notes. It's absolutely scandalous. <clears throat> that fragrance would have been, it, it says, one of the scriptures says it filled the house. It would have been all over Jesus. So he would have carried it for a while afterwards. She has it in her hair. You ever get a smell in your hair, you've been to a barbecue, particularly if you've got long, thick hair. It's a nightmare to get out. Sometimes you have to wash it twice, you know. So 
it would have cut that fragrance, and we've heard a lot about fragrances recently from Pastor Nathan, would have stuck to that house, to Jesus and to her for some time afterwards. There's not, the scripture doesn't tell us that she said anything. She doesn't seem to have spoken a word. But an act of humility brings her this response from Jesus in Luke 7, 47 to 50. Your sins are forgiven. The humility that she brought, brought a forgiveness of sins. Your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. All the while, the Lord collecting every one of her tears in his bottle and writing them down, keeping a record of them in his, in his book. Isn't Jesus utterly beautiful? There's a contrast with the response of the others there. Judas, the disciples, a Pharisee in various accounts, who are also sinners, because we all are, but who instead respond in pride and hypocrisy. Judas, as we are told, is falsely pious about the waste of pouring out a year's wage in the pretense of concern for the poor, but he was really covering up. He was, def he was being defensive, you know that. I'm doing something wrong here. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna <laughs> humble myself. I'm gonna defend myself um, because he was really ciphering off money out of the accounts. We're told, but Jesus knew. Jesus knew who was authentic because God examines the motives of our hearts. We're told in one Thessalonians two, verses four and six, that we're entrusted with the good news. God alone examines our purposes to please God because he alone examines the motives of our hearts and that we shouldn't seek human praise. Easier said than done. But our purpose should be to please him only. It's for an audience of one. James 4.6 tells us that God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble and that's what we see here. Now, just for a moment, if we consider that these characters are Mary Magdalene and Judas Iscariot, Mark 14, the account tells us that Judas went straight out from here to seek out the chief priests to go and betray, to arrange to betray Jesus for the 30 pieces of silver. But if we fast forward, I think this is utterly beautiful. If we fast forward to John chapter 20, we again find Mary Magdalene crying. She's the only person left at Jesus' tomb. The We've just been told that the disciples had been there and then they'd left and she remained. And God is still collecting those tears and writing them down at that point, even though he knows the victory's already won. She doesn't know. Obviously then, the Lord is revealed to her gloriously, and it's amazing. But how did Jesus respond to her humble devotion? She was the very first person that the resurrected Jesus appeared to, and the first person commissioned to preach the good news about that. Go and tell Simon Peter and my disciples that I'm risen. 
the first person given the good news of Jesus' victory over all Satan's dominion, death, and sin. A woman with a reputation so shameful was the first witness to the risen Jesus. And I just want to talk a bit about Jesus and our pain, because something I've learned and discovered that's key on this journey towards having authentic hearts. John eleven thirty five, when Jesus was faced with the pain and suffering of Martha, who was very angry with him at the time, by the way, Mary and their loved ones, even knowing that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead and fix the situation that they were in such pain about. He takes time. He stops. He sits with them in their grief and in their pain, and he weeps with them. Some people have tried to um, say that this means that he was incredulous or indignant, but actually the Greek word used there, edacrusen, does mean to shed tears. So he did actually cry. Um, Jesus took on flesh, became like us, sat in our pain and mess with us, even knowing he was going to perform miracles and ultimately rise from the dead and defeat all of the reasons for all of that pain and suffering that we go through. He identified with us. And if you go through Mark's gospel, you'll particularly see Jesus with emotions. When we experience pain in this life, yes, of course, we are commanded to praise God in all circumstances, but we don't need to shout over that pain and pretend it's not there. Um, we need to come and sit with Jesus and bring it to him and allow him to meet us in it. If we're looking to love people, the second part of that, then we need to let him comfort us because how can we comfort others with the comfort with which he's comforted us if we don't let him do that first? And that's something that you can only experience on a one-to-one -one with him. Only sitting in that place, being completely honest with him about where you're at. And my own personal testimony in that is that he is so faithful. No one gets it like he does. Just no one does. And he ministered to me on a level that no one else could ever know. There's, yeah, there's a, a deep place with Jesus that you find something of the character of God that is to be found nowhere else and no other way. He is Elroy, who saw Hagar, who sees and knows he's Jehovah Jireh, he's all-sufficient and provider. He is the God who nurtures in that womb-like environment that Miranda talked about on Mother's Day. And the truth is that during that encounter in that house, Jesus loved every person in that story. They were all sinners who needed to humbly come to him. He already knew about all of the sins that were being covered up with pride and defensiveness and, and everything else. 
and he knew everybody's motives for what they were doing. They all had the same opportunity to come and humble themselves before Jesus. The word for repented, repent, metanoo, excuse my pronunciation, means to completely change mind, to change direction. God's grace was waiting for each one of them to do that. And I'm not asking anybody to categorize themselves either in one camp or the other. Because the truth is, we can have a bit of both in us at any time. We can have wounds that need healing, that need bringing to Jesus. Places where we've been shamed. We can have sins that we need, and we all do, that we need to bring to Jesus and repent of. But he's waiting. He's waiting to sit with you and minister, and that's his heart, that actually everybody would do that. So I'm going to, Sean, I'm going to ask Sean to play a song. It's not, Pastor Nathan played it in the um, encounter meeting the same week that Jesus had broken me with this particular story. So it was one of those, this again, Lord, <laughs> moments. Um, it's not for anybody to sing along with, but it's a space for each person between you and God, asking the Holy Spirit for help, just in the quietness of where you're sitting, to bring those things to Jesus. Is there a wound that you need to bring to Jesus? And just tell him how it is. Tell him how it feels. How unfair it is. Is there something that you're deeply grateful for to Jesus that you need to bring to him in that moment? Is there some sin that you need to come and repent of. He's there and all of those things are available in him. He is utterly beautiful. He is so worthy of our complete devotion. So we're just gonna put this song on, um, like I say, not to sing along to, and at the end I'm gonna ask Ed to close in prayer. But if there's anything that anybody would like either of us to pray with you about or available straight after the service. Thank you. From her box of alabaster. 
fully understand and know the cost that you paid 
for my sin, our sin, the sin of everybody. Thank you just doesn't seem like enough. My prayer, almighty God, for us here and for the church in this city is that we would understand the cost and live in the freedom of your resurrection. May your kingdom come, your will be done in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.